Welcome back to Speaking of Wounds, a podcast by the Wound Care Learning Network. I'm your moderator, Martha Kelso. We have a special guest with us today, Stephen Heisler. Stephen Heisler is the moderator for the Injured Senior Podcast. Steve, do you mind giving us a background about your law firm and also the Injured Senior Podcast that you produce? Sure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Martha. Thank you. So my name is uh, Steve Heisler, as Martha said, and I am an attorney in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, and I founded the National Injured Senior Law Center, where we basically represent anyone over the age of 55 uh, who has been uh, injured or has a medical condition or an, a disease, infectious disease, uh, or a wound that um, they believe uh, resulted due to the negligence of someone. And um, so we, we handle that. Uh, so, so it's a lot of um, malpractice and nursing home abuse and negligence, uh, product liability, meaning uh, defective drugs or defective medical oh. devices, and then just regular accidents. But um, I started the Injured Senior Podcast uh, about six months ago, and the Injured Senior Podcast basically uh, is a show where we bring on guests such as yourself, Martha, and uh, I've had you on three times, uh, to discuss yeah. issues of vital importance to the injured senior community. And um, that includes a lot of discussion about wounds, uh, such pressure ulcers, bed sores, a lot of infections, infectious disease issues. Uh, so that's what we do. Um, and I would love for your listeners to try us out. Uh, you can uh, go to a, go get get the podcast at inf, uh, InjuredSeniorPodcast.com. That's I-N-J-U-R-E-D, InjuredSeniorPodcast.com. And uh, you can always uh, email me at Steve at InjuredSeniorHotline.com. And the best way to get me is at... Uh, 410 625 4878. So, I bet as a, a, a plaintiff's attorney, you get to see some unusual, difficult, and complicated cases. Do you have one that you could share with us today and maybe we could discuss? I sure do. I sure do. And it's very true what you, uh, what you said. I, I see a lot of cases that just have so many different. Uh, twists and turns uh you never i guess in your field uh there's always um different comorbidities and just different factors which play into uh your decision making and treating wounds and making diagnoses and and assessments and how's mm -hmm. a person going to do in the future well so the case i wanted to kind of bring to light uh, is the case of a 65-year-old man who was diabetic uh, and throughout the medical records, uh, it is indicated that he was non-compliant. He had, uh, was, not a, was not a healthy man. And it's one thing whenever, the first thing I do when someone uh, 
comes to me for a medical malpractice case or a nursing home negligence, I want to know what the comorbidities are. I want to know what we're mm-hmm. looking at and what could be could have caused complications. So this gentleman, according to the uh, hospital records, was obese. Uh, he had uh, coronary artery disease. He had chronic kidney disease and was at stage three. Um, he had peripheral artery disease. He, they list as one of one of the uh, comorbidities, heart failure. Mm. Um, and he also, uh, so he came in. Uh, the diabetes was he was non-compliant, so was not treating well, was not doing well. His diabetes was not doing well. And what happened is that uh, basically he he had to go in uh, because of the uh, ugly progress, progression of his uh, right foot. So uh, he had um, a right lower uh, lobe leg cellulitis. Um, he they had to debride uh, four ulcers so he just had recurrent ulcers to the right foot um and so he goes in and out of the hospital um but the the um ulcer the foot ulcer just continues to deteriorate um and it turns out that they end up having to do, and I want to ask you about this. So this is um, in part of my education as well. Um, the, the, the bridemints and the antibiotics are not working. Um, and he has uh, cellulitis. So they do a, a, a ephemeral papilletal bypass. Um, so my question to you is, is that standard as a way to try to, is uh, that come at the end of the, end of the case in other words or the end of the treatment when there's nothing else they can do and they're they're trying to avoid a an amputation uh no okay <laughs> i so i don't know i i haven't read the chart so let me say that up front although what i will say is as part of my company wound care plus we on any lower extremity wound it's our standard of care wound care plus the standard of care that we get blood flow studies from the beginning now if there's already blood flow studies on the chart that's great we're not going to reorder them unless if there's been a significant deterioration or change um, in that lower extremity because of course their health status could have changed but on our end we're getting blood flow studies as one of the first two or three encounters on this patient, simply because we know that we can't heal wounds without blood flow. And so it may be a diabetic wound, but any of the underlying comorbidities or complications playing into that wound, we wanna eliminate as quick as possible. So uh, especially with a, when you, when you say FEMPOP bypass repair, it's the femoral popliteal artery meaning that leg is probably dead, the entire leg. And uh, if it's, you know, 90% occluded, then there's only 10% of the blood flow getting down to the toes in that diabetic foot ulcer. 
which means it's doomed to fail until we get adequate blood flow. And the challenge is in a COVID-19 world, um, so assuming that this case happened in 2020, which it may not have, but if it's it early, did, early 2020, so we're talking about January is when is when this okay. was all happening. It's, we're getting close. You know, we all ended up, most of us ended up on lockdown. The hospitals were shut down. Any elective surgeries were closed. Um, you know, wind centers were closed. Office, doctor's offices were closed. You know, like uh, in Kansas City, we were on lockdown. So to even get a vascular surgeon appointment for a non-urgent issue would have been incredibly complicated. And so in the 2020 setting, it complicates this case even more. Um, although if he was at the nursing home, most nursing homes, not all, but most, have access to a portable ultrasound x-ray type company where they can come in and get mobile ultrasounds done. Now, not always. I was lecturing in Iowa a few years ago, uh, doing lectures across Iowa, when Iowa did not have access to mobile ultrasound company. And so, you know, that's something that I would consider. Because if they do, they're able to determine if there's an occlusion without having to send them out. Um, well, to let's answer just your say question, this: they, blood flow should be checked first. One of the one of the first few things, in my opinion, in a lower extremity wound. Okay, well, right. So the uh, the the uh, pop bypass, basically, you're saying is is a clear indication that that leg was pretty close to being uh, amputatable. Right. Okay. So, so here's the thing. Um, so, he, yeah, and and again, I, there's the obviously. So you're saying the Doppler is the first thing, really, right? Is it is it a Doppler or? It's a Doppler, or you, you can do you know you can do an ankle brachial index. You could do a venous Doppler, venous ultrasound. You could send them to a vascular surgeon's office to do an arteriogram or you know, some kind of study mapping that blood flow. Okay. And I'm not sure what the industry standard is, but Wound Care Plus the standard of care is to check that first and foremost. Because, you know, I always equate it to like a rubber band being around your finger, you know, or rubber band being around your toe. If you're diabetic, you've already got problems with the microvascular blood flow. And then most diabetics have atherosclerosis or significant arterial disease. He had a known diagnosis of peripheral arterial disease. And so you're complicating his issues because the macrovascular blood flow is also impaired. So we can't look at a patient in the eyes and say, no problem, we can get you healed when we don't even know what the complicating factors are that are playing into this wound. So we know he's non-compliant. We know he's obese. We know he's got bad blood flow you know, as so, known diagnosis, but we don't know how bad the blood flow is. Well, we know that uh, it was, well, it's being diagnosed uh, in, in the medical records on February 17th of 2020 uh, as a non-healing diabetic wound. Uh, he went underwent a lower extremity angiogram on January the 6th, uh, but it doesn't give the, the you know, 
you know, it doesn't say from what I'm looking at exactly what the result of that was, but he goes, he undergoes the bypass graft. Um, and they're actually talk about doing a, a debridement without even having to use an anesthetic. So that's oftentimes the case with diabetes because they're neuropathic. They don't feel like we do. And I've had neuropathic diabetics come in with their pinky toe at, you know, 60 degrees hanging off their foot because they broke their toe and didn't even know it. I've had them come in and have foreign bodies in the bottom, you know, different objects sticking out the bottom of their foot. And they didn't even know they had an object in their foot because they can't feel. And it's the neuropathy is actually part of what causes, they call it lops, lops you know, loss of protective sensation, that actually is usually what causes some of the diabetic wounds because they're walking abnormally, the foot's rubbing against a shoe and rubbing a wound in their foot. That's why you see callus formation oftentimes in diabetes, diabetic patients. What, what's interesting about this case, go ahead, sorry. No, no, I'm, I apologize. Um, you said if you do a Doppler, what's the standard? What are you looking for as far as the result? In other words, what are the extremes? What is uh, you know, what is a, a result that is or a ratio or a number or whatever that is where you need to be? And then what is where you're in, in a little bit of trouble? Well, vascular surgeons are trained to interpret the runoff values is what the term is. The runoff values in you know, ankle brachial indexes, venous ultrasounds, those kind of things. And But when a report comes back to our advanced wound consultants that says, you know, moderate occlusion, severe occlusion, complete occlusion, 90% occlusion, any anything that says occlusion is get them out to vascular, see if they're a surgical candidate to open those main arteries, right? And so if it says moderate to severe arterial disease. I'm still gonna send them to a vascular surgeon because I don't know what is in their bag of tricks to be able to improve that blood flow. And ultimately improving the blood flow is what we want. Without that blood flow, um, that life-giving blood flow, we can't heal these things. They're, going, they're doomed for amputation. And what, what's interesting about this case is the, for the listeners out there that are doctors, nurse practitioners, you know, surgeons, when you say they're diabetic, they're obese, they have PAD, um, you know, they've had a stroke, they've, you know, had a heart attack, some of those that we're all going, yep, yep, stamp, check, check, check. They have kidney disease, yep, check. That's kind of the nature of these diabetic patients. All those things kind of all tie in together. They hold hands. They're all kissing cousins to each other, so to speak. And so every all those comorbid medical conditions that you listed are very common in diabetic lower extremity wound patients and, and, and being noncompliant. I mean, um, it's hard to get obese if you're compliant with diet, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you yeah. have self if you have self-control and you're eating the things that you're supposed to and keeping blood sugars in control, and, and oftentimes with arterial disease that are non-diabetic, they have a history of smoking for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And now they're 60, 70, 80 years old and they have bad, bad blood flow. Um, 
and it's difficult to come to a physician advanced wound consultant and say, wave your magic wand and forgive the sins of my past, fix me. Sometimes the damage is already done and it's difficult for us to fix you now. Right, and, and the records talk about uh, uh, that this um, individual has arthrosclerosis. So that indicates mm -hmm. that they're right, that that, that that leg is in some deep, uh, deep trouble, correct? Correct. It's what they would call hardening of the arteries. And atherosclerosis to me means unmanaged, at, at the age of 65, means unmanaged diabetes. At the same time, maybe they've had diabetes for 60 years and it was managed perfectly. They're still going to end up with atherosclerosis because of the long-standing diabetes diagnosis. Um, so I don't know if they're type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes type tells two. me they got it later in life. Yeah. Right. So they got it later in life, but then didn't manage their diabetes, and now they have atherosclerosis. So, so here's my question. So I have clients in, in situations such as what I, I just gave you, but I have clients who are always looking um, to try to say that there was uh, negligence on the part of a, a hospital or a medical provider. Uh, and more often than, than not, and... 85% of the time we have to tell potential clients that there just is no case. Um, and in this situation, there are, and I'm, what I hadn't mentioned is that there then was a, um, an infection that mm. came in uh, uh, MSSA. So uh, there was, you know, that, that kind of complicated things. Uh, and he developed encephalopathy uh, had, had delirium, um, but, and then ultimately he caught COVID and, and passed. But a lot of clients want to say, well, but they should have, like in this situation, if the, if the hospital had been more vigilant or if the doctors had been more vigilant early on, that, that this shouldn't have happened and he never would have caught COVID in the first place. My concern or, or the, my question to you is, I looked at this and I just said, what else could they have done? Um, I mean, is there, <laughs> there, right. is, is there some kind of magical um, thing that could have been done that could have saved um, this, this guy's leg? Because he ultimately had the leg amputated and then had to go mm -hmm. to subacute rehab and then caught the COVID. So my question to you is, uh, I guess, in the, in, in the facts that I've given you, is there something that um, without naming names or any facilities, whatever, but is there something that could be done to, uh, especially at this late stage when someone's coming in and you know, with this horrific foot ulcer, um, is there anything else that can be done? Um, you know, I haven't looked at the chart. So what right. I would say is we have situations all the time where we've educated, 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 and the patients in their right mind, alert and oriented, capable or competent to make their own mistakes, right? And I, it's, I have a saying, it's his leg, he's attached to it, which means he's in the driver's seat, right? right. And so I, I always feel like with, advanced, with wound consultants, it's our job to kind of line up the options. Here's your options. We can get you out to vascular, 
uh, we can do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, some of these are really crap options that you're probably gonna end up in an amputation. Some of these are amazing options and you're still probably gonna end up in an amputation. <laughs> and your job, your job is to choose one. It doesn't mean you have to choose the best one. And sometimes the option is keep doing what you're doing. Keep, keep not managing your blood sugars. Keep not following the dressing change recommendations. Keep not, that's okay. You can totally do that. It's your leg, you're attached to it. But understand the consequences are A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You could, it could get worse. You could end up with gangrene. You could end up in amputation. And so making sure that that's charted clearly and then they still continue to refuse. And at some point, um, it becomes a, why are you upset with me, the provider, or me, the nursing home, when you, the patient, didn't do everything you could have done to salvage that limb? Now, if the patient did everything they should have, and we continued to fail to meet the standard of care, we have one of the legs of, you know, one of the arms of, of um, a lawsuit, right? Because that person, that building, that provider failed to do what another reasonably competent person would have done with that care. Uh, the case that you're describing is so complex that I, you know, I would literally have to sit down and read the chart to see what order of events, you know, was it clearly documented? Did he vocalize understanding? Um, sometimes I find that families sue because they didn't realize how sick dad was. But dad knew how sick he was, and he chose not to communicate that with you. Right. It's his so, leg, right? Yeah. So, so, and you had, you know, I had you on my podcast last week, and you talked about uh, glycemic uh, management, glycemic control. Mm -hmm. uh, and it seems so elementary, but it, it really is be managing your sugar. Mm-hmm. And managing what and you not, what you put and not in your being body, sediment. Mm -hmm. and not being sediment. Get up, get mo Michelle Obama. Let's get moving, right? Get up, right. get moving. Let's get out there. And I think her initiative was to help reduce the incidence and prevalence of childhood obesity, and therefore, you know, childhood diabetes. Let's so, get up. Let's get moving. Yeah, we had on my podcast. We had a gentleman out of Oregon, uh, uh, Colin Hubler. And the 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 podcast was on uh, just totally devoted to his discussion of what he calls sitting disease. And yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if you listen to that podcast, but basically he's a physical therapist. But you know, individuals who are and I rep and I represent and also do a podcast on the aging population. The aging population has is sedentary, uh, mm -hmm. and they're not moving around enough. They're not listening to Michelle mm -hmm. Obama. And as a result, uh, it, it, it causes a lot of different types of um, conditions. Uh, but one mm -hmm. of them, as you're saying, is that you, I guess you increase your risk of diabetes if you're not moving around. If you're watching TV mm -hmm. for five to nine hours a day and you're not moving mm -hmm. around, uh, that is going to, it's going to bite you in a lot of different ways. And one is diabetes. Mm -hmm. You hear about in 2020, the COVID-15 pounds, right? Everybody working from home, gaining weight because we're just sitting. We're not going to the gym. We're not getting out. We're not socializing as much. Um, the dangerous thing with having COVID or coronavirus also 
and it's been documented by the National Pressure Injury Advisory Panel, is it, it actually causes kind of a cascade of coagulopathy or vasculopathy type events, little micro ischemic blood clots at the micro, uh, the micro level, or then turns around and causes tissue death. And, you know, because it was the novel coronavirus, we'd never dealt with it, we'd never researched it, didn't study it. I mean, all of us were kind of behind the eight ball trying to learn as much as we could from this disease as fast as we could, and then in turn learning how to protect people. And so we also see wounds commonly misdiagnosed even as pressure ulcers that aren't pressure. They're a COVID-19 skin manifestation, but yet they look identical or can look identical to pressure ulcers. But, you know, people that have COVID are more bedridden because they're, they're not up running around. They don't have good oxygenation. They, you know, all the issues that occur with COVID. And so they're more bedbound. And then you add these coagulopathy or vasculopathy type issues and the skin fails. And so, you know, man, what a rock and a hard place. We're ready for vaccines to hit the nation. Let's get those vaccines moving. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so is COVID, how is that affecting uh, the uh your wound care business uh are you uh, you still being able to get in i mean now I, this is not march i mean we're now almost in 2021 so are are, are you still, still yeah yeah we're still seeing outbreaks everywhere i mean we're active in 14 states and so because of those outbreaks there's times where we're still not getting in to see patients or residents in the long-term care sector we offer telehealth but when the staff is sick with COVID and so they're off due to sickness, there's not even anybody to help assist with telehealth. So what's happening is, and uh, Dr. Armstrong and others actually published a, a document about this recently. What's happening is we're ending up with more amputations, more serious wounds, where before we would see them earlier on in the disease process or the wound process, we could get interventions in place and help this wound not become so tragic. What's happening now, because again, doctor's offices are shut down, wound centers were closed, hospitals were closed for elective procedures. It basically shut out our access to our wounded population. And the result so now is they're been, not just kind of wounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the result has been increased wounded. amputations, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Increased In general, amputations. I mean, pre, or, yeah, pre-COVID, <laughs> Amputations, what percentage of uh, uh, ulcers or you know, diabetic ulcers or, uh, or the like are result in amputations? Is it a small percentage? I don't know. Our population that we deal with isn't your normal wound center population. Wound center population is usually ambulatory, walkie-talkie, still employed. They're the younger Type. I'm not saying they don't see elderly on occasion, but you know, when I ran the wound center, my population was younger, um, still employed. The population that my company, Wound Care Plus, deals with is almost exclusively long-term care, assisted living, extended care type patients. What I will tell you, shockingly, and I would be very interested in studying the data, but um, you know, we would have one or two people at the hospital prior a day we go in to see them oh mr jones is at the hospital he's there for you know urinary tract infection or pneumonia 
or, you know, we'd have maybe three or four documented deceased people a week in our practice. And now it's 10, 12, 15 a day missed visits due to hospitalization or death. It's insane. Insane. And, you know, I've been in healthcare 30 years, so I'm not talking about, oh, well, this was just a crazy year this decade. I'm talking about three decades of my career. I've never seen anything like it. So, And you think it's mainly related to COVID? I think it's the COVID effect. And so, you know, COVID coupled with staff being sick and or dying coupled with now we're short staffed. Because we're short staffed, we, and, and, and the hospitals are closed, doctors, are, I mean, like, the ripple effect of COVID. So not necessarily an ICD-10 diagnosis code of COVID on the chart, but the ripple effect of the devastating effects of COVID nationwide. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. And you're already seeing people in long-term care facilities who are kind of like at the end of the road. Uh, So uh, I guess if you you see the ulcers uh, or you get in a situation where you've got a really nasty ulcer. Um, th- these are people like when you're at the wound center, you're seeing people in their twenties or their thirties or forties maybe, mm-hmm. and they're able to, to, to correct the situation and to, you know, to change uh, their plight. Mm-hmm. You're seeing people, I guess, in the long-term care facilities. Um, a lot of our, our seniors and elders who are in their sixties, seventies and eighties. So You've got mm-hmm. sometimes you're you're already fighting a losing battle. Is that is that mm-hmm. accurate? Yes, because we're putting up with decades of bad genetics, decades of you know, again maybe poor lifestyle. I always joke, you know, my husband is African American, and so they always talk about that southern southern fried chicken and <laughs> you know grit, grits and greens and you know and that uh, you know my husband's family has a long-standing history of diabetes type 2 diabetes and but it's that 70 or 80 years of southern fried chicken that really you know makes you go man it was really good for thanksgiving but maybe not good all the time <laughs> right, right? right and so uh you know or 20 30 years of smoking or tw- you know 40 years of being out in the sun and ending up with basal cell or squamous cell carcinomas that go undiagnosed that result then in a fungating tumor on the scalp. I can't fix it now. We've had 40 years of sun damage with no sunscreen. And, you know, maybe you wore your hat all the time, maybe you didn't, you know. So we, you know, or being a truck driver for your entire life, we end up with venostasis disease uh, from pooling fluid in the lower extremities. And then you sat while you were truck driving and so we have type 2 diabetes on top of atherosclerosis, on top of venous stasis disease. They're kind of a ticking time bomb for amputation. So we're going to do what we can as long as we can, but we're probably fighting a losing battle. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I know you haven't reviewed the, the records uh, that about the uh, situation I was telling you about, about the uh, individual, uh, but that kind of um, just kind of thinking that again, he's in his mid sixties, he's got obesity, he's got um, uh, coronary artery disease, peripheral artery disease, chronic kidney disease, uh, you know, so it just, it just is a compounding effect. 
Mm -hmm. The more ICD-10 diagnosis codes on the chart, the greater the chance of wound or skin failure with significant complications. Can so you, you think about, uh, go ahead. Can you repeat that? I, I, that? That's important, I think. Yeah, the, the more ICD-10 code diagnosis listed on the chart, the greater the chance of skin complications or skin failure with major um, skin loss or tissue loss. And so there's a, a statistic out there, I'm, I'm probably gonna misquote it, don't have it right in front of me, but two or more comorbid medical conditions at the same time, just two, elevate your risk of developing a wound or skin issue by 60%. Really? So think about like, Hypertension and history of heart attack. That's two. Hypertension, kidney disease. You know, psychiatric disorders where they're more at risk of not following treatments or being more contentious with the doctor. And hypertension, that's two. So two or more, wow. at least 60%. Now think about those that have... 10, 15, 20 ICD-10 diagnosis codes listed on their chart. And so it's almost that, holy cow, I'm surprised this person didn't have more wounds. Right. That I'm surprised their leg stayed attached as long as it did. You know, and that, <laughs> yeah. that and I, I know that sounds crass, but often sometimes that's, that is the truth. And it's sad because 65, that's young. Yeah. 65 years old is a pretty young person, but not when they have all these comorbid medical disorders. That's a young person in age, but not a young person in medicine. Right. Medical history, I would age that person much later. Yeah. So, Steve, thank you so much for joining us uh, again on Speaking of Wounds podcast. What a great discussion. It's always so interesting to have an attorney on the show and hear your side, the legal side of wound care, uh, we, need to, we need to focus on that more. So many, so many people benefit from having a, a legal counsel on the show. Um, we are out of time. I do want the listeners to tune in and be sure to check out the woundcarelearningnetwork.com for more podcasts, articles, and videos on various topics in wound care. Also, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Speaker, or where you normally listen to podcasts. We hope you tune in to our next podcast, and thank you for listening on Speaking of Wounds.